भद्रम कर्णेसृणुयाम देवा भद्रं पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुष्टुवागंसनू व्यशेम देवितयदायु स्वस्ती न इंद्रो वृद्धस्रवाह स्वस्तीन पूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्तीर्णस्ताक्षोरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शातिशाति हरि मे वी हियर विथ अवर यस वॉट इज ऑस्पेशियस मे वी सी विथ अवर आईज वॉट इज ऑस्पेशियस वाइल प्रेइंग विथ स्टडी लिम्स मे वी अटेन द लाइफ स्पैन अलॉटेड टू अस मे इंद्र बेस्ट ऑफ वेल बींग ऑन अस मे पूषण द गॉड ऑफ द अर्थ हु इज ऑल नोइंग bestow well-being on us may garura the destroyer of evil bestow well-being on us may brihaspati also bestow well-being on us om shanti 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 so in the last class we were studying the fourth fifth and the sixth mantra of the first chapter of the third part of mundaka upanishad so on the fifth and the sixth mantra we found that the practices which has been entitled for self realization the practices which will lead to the self realization that was indicated in the fifth and the sixth mantra of which satya the truthfulness was stressed in the sixth mantra that by practicing truthfulness alone one can evolve spiritually to some lofty heights of spirituality without practicing anything else because in the practicing of truthfulness all other practices gets included so the sixth mantra which we were studying in the last class let us just start our discussion today with that mantra where we find the truthfulness has been stressed its significance is utmost in our spiritual life what's the mantra satyam eva jayate na anritam satyena pantha vitata devayana yena akramanti rishayah hi aptakama yatra tat satyasya paramam nidhanam so satyam eva jayate na anritam the truth alone prevails not falsehood anritam means falsehood ritam means truthfulness an pratyaya is used in front in preceding ritam to use it in the sense of negation that that which is not ritam that which is not truth so this anritam means falsehood that never prevails truth alone prevails satyam eva jayate truth alone prevails satyena pantha vitata devayana the word devayana here is important because in our scriptures it is mentioned that after the death there are two courses which the departed soul follows one is the pitriyana and another is the devayana the pitriyana speaks of going to the locus of our ancestors devayana speaks of those who have to certain extent got illumined got evolved in the spiritual journey they follow the path of devayana which leads them to the brahma loka from where they need not return they can continue in that loka loka in the contemplation of brahman to ultimately get that final liberation the atyantika mukti so that also is a path of krama mukti gradual liberation so that's the course one follows who follows the path of truth satyena pantha vitata devayana the truth by truth the path is laid out 
for the way of the gods, the way of the gods, that path is laid out. Means that can lead to the gradual liberation, Kramamukti. On which that has been mentioned that Devayana, what's that Devayana? That path is Yena Akramanti Rishaya, he the Kama. All the Rishis, all the predecessors in the spiritual journey, the Rishis, who were fulfilled by practicing the spiritual disciplines, they reached a sense of fulfillment. Apta Kama speaks of satiety. Apta Kama, the desires for him, all the desires has been fulfilled. The one who has realized that absolute truth for him, no other desire remains. All the desires gets satisfied the once we realize the Atman. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that when you are staying by the side of the river, what's the use of digging a well? So you are when you, when you get established in the self, the self which is the storehouse, which is the source of all our bliss, our happiness, it being Sat Chit Ananda Swarupa, that Ananda Swarupata is something which is the nature of that absolute reality. So once you have got established in that, what's the that's use of all the small desires, they automatically gets nullified. You have no sense of fulfilling those desires. So all those Aptakama for whom all the desires have been satisfied by being established in the self, the path which they have followed, the path of Devayana, that's the path on which the one who is always established in truth, he also follows that. He also ascends to that path. Yatra tat satyasya paranam paramam nidhanam. So that's the path which uh, one ascends, by which one ascends to the highest abode of truth. Satyasya Paramam Nidhanam. So what, what's the idea behind this? As in the last class we were indicating that if we uphold to the truth, that is one of the biggest tapas, tapasya in our life. If anything is a real austerity, the real austerity is to uphold, to hold on to the truth. As in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, we will find Sri Ramakrishna is indicating again and again, Koli Juge Shutta Katha Koli Juge Tapasya. To be established in truth is tapas in this yuga. Why? We have the idea that in the previous yugas, truthfulness prevailed. When truthfulness prevails, there is no opposing factor in your life. All are practicing truthfulness. So in your life, when you are holding onto the truth, you don't meet any resistance. But with the passage of time, the collective society, the society as a whole, where we find the corruption, the resorting to falsehood is the norm of life. There, practicing truthfulness becomes real tapasya. It's a big challenge. Constantly you have to fight to remain established in truth. And that speaks of the annihilation of the ego. How? Just the way you will find the mother. The mother loves the child. It is the love makes her so much identified with the child that she is even ready to sacrifice her life for the sake of the child. Similarly, the one who is upholding to the truth, one is upholding to some ideal. The ideal has become something like his child or her child. And it gets so much identified with it that for the sake of the ideal, he or she is even ready to sacrifice her life. So this speaks of this, what you say, this renunciation of the highest order. You are not simply renouncing your belongings. You are renouncing yourself. You are ready to renounce yourself. You are ready to go through all the hardship, the challenges of life, which speaks of 
attenuation and also attenuation or to the utmost to the annihilation of the ego and what actually is the spiritual evolution spiritual evolution doesn't speak of remaining immersed in meditation it speaks of annihilation of ego meditation is a way remaining truthful is another way especially when there is a lot of challenge there is obstruction in the way of practicing truth then it really becomes a way to annihilate your ego your selfishness all sorts of selfishness falls off because you are holding on to the truth and that's why sri ramakrishna used to say je satte royeche she bhagavaner kole shuye royeche the one who is established in truth is as if lying in the lap of god so this speaks of this sat that how the truth the practice of truth alone can lead us to the spiritual evolution because your ego is being annihilated and if not annihilated attenuated reduced because you are giving the truth the more importance you are ready to sacrifice anything for it and that speaks entails in the spiritual evolution if even if it may not lead to the ultimate atyantika mukti but with the annihilation or the attenuation of the ego after the death one follows the path of devayana they will be ascending they will be ascending to that higher planes of spiritual existence where bereft of all sorts of petty desires which brings us down again to this plane of existence what brings us down to this plane of existence what gravitates us down to this plane of existence is all our trivial desires our concrete ego along with which to which all the desires are clinging that's the force which brings us down once that ego is annihilated along with that all the desires which adhere to it that also falls off one need not come back to this physical plane of existence can remain in that mental world of contemplation in the brahmaloka to continue his spiritual journey there ultimately leading to atyantika mukti when he gets established in that absolute truth so just practicing truthfulness has been given that's why so much of importance in the upanishad satyameva jayate na anritam satyena pantha vitata devayana yena akramanti rishaya hi apta kama yatra tat satyasya param nidhanam so just see that this mantra is of highly significance of is of high significance because in the name of religion the in the in the world at present you we will find that all sorts of evil practices goes on the name of religion religion serves the purpose of masking our evil intentions in that context this mantra is of great importance religion is there just to pose that i am religious as swami used to say so much of energy we waste in showing others that i am a holy person if i would have used the same energy to really transform myself i would have been transformed but we make a show of religion all those rituals external rituals uh just uh, professing that i believe in god has nothing to do with our day of life if if, if it is the fact that i cannot get rid of my inordinate attachments i cannot get rid of my laziness slothness then what's the that religion is for it is in no way going to help me as per my spiritual journey is concerned it is just a sham show in the name of religion and that's what we go on doing it's that in this context we find this mantra is so powerful so pinpointing to what actually is needed the one who doesn't believe in god the one who in no way adheres to any conventional religion but simply by adhering to truth that in life i will never resort to falsehood know it for certain he is a more spiritual being than all called so called people who just always 
show their religion uh, as just like a flag. They are all dharma dhwajis. These are the terms, strong terms used in our scripture. Dharma dhwaji. The one who will be using dharma as a flag to show others, I am a religious person. So that's why Swami Vivekananda used to say that those who are practicing religion, of them 80% are hypocrites. 80% are hypocrites. It's not an easy path. And then 15% lose their, lose their wits. And 5% proceeds, somehow proceeds to this path of religion. So this 80% hypocrite speaks of the importance of satya. That let us not be humbug in the name of religion. That if we profess to be religious, if we profess to be a spiritual person, the first criteria is that we should be established in satya. That what I say, what I try to show others that I really practice. Otherwise, that religion is of no use. It becomes a sham show. So that's the thing with the Upanishads indicate. is giving that prior importance to the practice of truthfulness. Now it has, it is here it has been spoken of that by truthfulness, you attain that highest abode, the highest abode of truth, that through Kramamut Mukti, ultimately you get established in Brahman. That's the highest abode of truth. What's it, what it is, what is that highest abode of truth? What is its nature? That's been spoken of in the next mantra. Let us proceed to the seventh mantra. What it is saying that the highest abode of truth, what it is, Brihat. Chatat divyam achintya rupam shukshmatcha tat shukshmataram vibhati durat sudure tat iha antikecha pashyatsu iha eva nihitam guhayam brihat chatat divyam it is great brihat it is vast Brihdhatu means which is all pervading. That from that the word Brihat came. The word Brahman also came from that, from Brihdhatu, that which is non-local, that which is all pervading. So that's the ultimate reality, the ultimate abode is Brihat. It's all pervading. Chatat divyam. It is self-effulgent. Is the ultimate source of effulgence. As it is, so everything becomes perceptible. So it is divyam, it is self-effulgent. Everything else borrows its effulgence because of the self. The sun borrows its effulgence because of the self. As the self is, so everything else is. So it is the only thing which is divyam, it is self-effulgent. Achintya rupam. It is unthinkable. As it is divyam, that means it is the ultimate subject. The ultimate subject can never be known. The moment if I can know the subject, it becomes an object. So the ultimate subject can never be known. So the sub, so he being the ultimate subject is achintya rupam. Is, you cannot think of it. It is beyond our comprehension. Shukshmat chatat. Shukshmataram vibhati. That why it is achintya rupam? Because it is shukshmatcha, shukshmataram vibhati. What is sukshma? So compared to the external world, the gross world, my senses, my mind are shukshma. Because through the mind and the senses, I perceive the external world. So this mind and senses are shukshma compared to the external world. Swami Vivekananda gives a nice example that a Weightlifter is lifting the weight. And we think, when I see the flexed muscles, the big flexed muscles, the well-built muscle body, I think it is the muscle which is lifting the weight. But actually, it is a very thin. He took the resolution to lift the weight. That resolution is being carried as a nervous impulse through a very, very thin nerve. From the, brain, from, the, from the brain, from the spinal cord, it reaches the muscle. It is that information in the form of nervous impulse that enables the muscle to be flexed. 
So the gross thing which we see behind that always the shukshma, that the behind that strong muscle, behind that weight is that, that to lift that weight I need that strong muscles. Behind the muscle is the shukshma nerves. Behind the shukshma nerve is the resolution. And behind the resolution is the Atman. Unless the Atman activates the mind, the mind becomes operative because of its association with the self, unless the self is there. But how can just you think of lifting the weight? A dead body, maybe it may be a very muscular, a dead body. It cannot think of lifting the weight. So it is a self which activates the mind. That mind in the form of resolution sends the nervous impulse through the nerves to reach the muscles and then that strong muscles which is visible that can be flexed to lift the weight. So Shukshmat Shukshmataram Vibhati what it speaks of that the self is subtler than the subtle means the mind and the sense organs and the, all the Karmendriya and the Gyanendriya. The mind is Shukshma than this Karmendriya and Gyanendriya and Sukshma still subtler than the mind is the self. So as it is the subtlest, it speaks of the subject alone is the subtlest. The subject can never be known. That's why it was sort of spoken of. It is achintya rupa and you cannot speak of because it is subtler than the subtlest. Shukshmat cha sukshmatara vibhati. Durat sudure tat iha antikecha. It is farther than the farthest and it is nearer than the rarest. It is very near to us. It is the core of our being. But at the same time, Durat, it can be far, far away. What it means? The self, when our mind gets activated by the self, the self, which is in the cave of residing on the cave of our heart, which is very near to heart or near to us, it is the core of our being. When that projects through the mind, when that self is being projected through the mind to make all our perception possible, then it can go beyond the scope of perception. What it speaks of, it's just like that the ultraviolet and the infrared red bands, the white light in association with the prism, when it is kept in association with the prism, we all know that the spectrum, the light breaks into the spectrum of seven colors, which we say Vibgeo. But is it actually just seven colors? It is our sense, our eyes cannot perceive ultraviolet light, cannot perceive infrared light. Our vision is limited between that band, in that band of Vibgeo. But there are so many bands, which are ultra, there's infinite bands, which are above violet, they're ultraviolet. There are infinite bands, which are infrared, which is below the red. That is not visible, but it is the light which passing through the prism is breaking to those infinite spectrums. A small portion of it is visible. The infinite spectrum above and below is not visible. So the self by itself is so near, but when it gets, when it comes in association with the mind, it projects as this universe, not only this visible universe, even the universe which is beyond this. That's why in our scriptures they say that what we see is just the what you say father, this one fourth. The other three parts is beyond our perception. As has been mentioned with Etavanasya Mahima, Ato Jayascha Purusha, Padosya, just one fourth, Vishwang Bhutani, Tripadasyam Ritangdivi. The three other three dimensions of existence is in the divine plane that is not visible. Tripad, Asya, Amritam, Divi. Just one fourth we are seeing. So what it speaks of? That that self which is so near us, when it projects through the mind, it can, it can project something even beyond the scope of our perception. With all our science that we with uh, telescope discovery, we are find we find what we are finding there is no limit as if to the existence that what we thought to be as if the end of existence 
with our discoveries, we are finding there is something beyond that, beyond that, beyond that. There is no end to it. So that's where that's being indicated by the time, by the term Durat Sudure. It is farther than the farthest. When it projects through the mind, the scope of our perception, it is beyond the scope of our perception. It is that if we can see the farthest, farthest galaxy beyond that also it is there. So that's being indicated that it, you cannot limit it. The self, when it is beyond time space causation, that same self when finds expression to time space causation, it is all pervading. And that word all includes all the spheres of existence, which is even beyond our perception. That's what is indicated by the time, by the term Durat Sudure. Tat Iha Though it is near, still at the same time, it is farther than the farthest. These Upanishads mantras, if you contemplate, it just takes you to some different dimension of existence. How wonderfully these rishis could have contemplated on these subtle truths behind the existence. And then what he's saying, Pashyatsu Iha Eva. Nihitam Guhaya. That's the wonder, the beauty of this, the this all these mantras. That the one which is beyond the scope of our existence, when it is being projected through the mind, the yogis and the main of self-knowledge, those who are endowed with self-knowledge, they see the, the same very this self in the heart of all beings. So by realizing the self as the core of one's own being one can be convinced about it being the core of everything. That what happens in the spiritual journey by diving deep, when I realize the self within me, that in divine contemplation, when the entire phenomenon merges in that absolute, I become one with that absolute. I go beyond all locality. I become one with that non-local consciousness. From that state, when I again come back, where is the Vithana? Then what's the realization? If the one who resides within me is the one who is the Brihat, who is beyond all locality, then it must be true for each and every being. As Sri Ramakrishna used to give a wonderful example, that when you are cooking rice, when the lady of the house is cooking rice, how she finds out that the rice has been cooked, just one rice she will pick up and press it between her fingers. If she finds that it is boiled, it is soft, it is boiled, she is convinced that the, all the rice has boiled. So if we have realized the self within the core of our being through our spiritual practices, we, we, can, we, we can be convinced of the fact that it is the same self which is the core of being of the entire existence of all the beings. So by realizing the self as the core of our own being, one becomes convinced that it is the core of every being. So that's what's being indicated by this phrase, Pashyatsu Iha Eva Nihitam Guhayam. The self which is so near to us can be farther than the farthest when it is projected through the mind. And that self as the core of our being is being realized by the yogis and the men who are endowed in with self-knowledge. So this is the idea which is being indicated in this mantra. That the highest abode which has been spoken of in the previous mantra it speaks of that state of existence where all the locality falls off. That I am this limited psychophysical existence that falls off I go to that non-local domain, that Brihat, which is the ultimate source of existence. That itself is finding uh, expression as the limited self of each and every being. As the sun, when it gets reflected in the waves of the ocean, there are thousands of waves in the ocean, millions of waves in the ocean. Each wave will be reflecting the same sun to give an appearance of million sun as the reflection. So that's how the same self, when gets reflected through this limited psychophysical existence in the form of innumerable wings, beings, it appears to be many. 
So that's being indicated by this phrase Pashyatsu Eva. Pashyatsu Iha Eva Nihitam Guhayam. Here, in this existence, in within each and every being, in the core of their heart is the same self, which is being projected as this universe, which is perceptible, which is beyond our perception. It is something vast. And I cannot see, I cannot just see it just the way I see the other objects because it is the ultimate subject. Because of that, everything becomes perceptible. So that's the loka. That's the state of existence one attains when one is established in truth. Maybe not immediately, gradually. By being established in truth, one evolves to the higher plane of existence through the process of Krama Mukti to ultimately get established in this state where all the dualities falls off, all the limiting adjuncts falls off and he gets established in that state of existence where all the so-called limiting adjuncts falls off to merge him to that absolute which only is the real state of our individuality. We generally use the word individual in the sense of this limited existence. But Swami Vivekananda very nicely, we will find his to say that when in the West, he was delivering lecture on Vedanta, which speaks of the idea in the words of Ramakrishna, what speaks of the idea that our limited existence merges in the absolute, just like a salt doll. When it falls, when it dives into the depth of the ocean, as if to measure the depth of the ocean, it immediately dissolves, merges in the ocean, becomes one with the ocean. Similarly, the limit is so-called this, our limited idea of this self, this individual self, when it gets established in the absolute, it merges with it, it becomes one with it. Hearing that one from the audience was terrified. It can be traumatic. This type of this revelations can be traumatic to all of us who are so much identified without this limited psychophysical existence. So it was quite obvious one from the audience got up and retorted, just responded by asking Swamiji, 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 what happens to our individuality? And Swami Vivekananda immediately replied, you are not individuals yet. You become an individual when you get established in that state. Sometimes these words we find is difficult to understand, but if you really try to find the etymological meaning of the word individual, you will this idea will get clear, clarified. What's that? We are not individuals yet. Why we are not individuals? The word individuals is how it has been constituted. Individual means that which is not individual, that which cannot be divided is individual. We as this limited psychophysical existence is a conglomeration. We have the, as per the physical body is constituted, the conglomeration of so many infinite number, innumerable number of cells, trillions of cells, various organs, various limbs, the sense organs, our mind with thousands of mental modules. It's a conglomeration. So it can be divided. The ultimate self is something which cannot be divided. It's that non-local consciousness, is a homogeneous non-local consciousness, which has no parts as if. So it is something that which is really individual. That's why now you will understand when Swamiji says you are not individuals yet, you become individual when you become one with it absolute. That's the idea we will find is being uh, explained, is being uh, highlighted in the next mantra. So let us proceed to the eighth mantra that the idea of the Nishkalam, the one who is beyond Kala, beyond parts. So that has to be reached. That's the thing which is the highest abode. How does a yogi or a man endowed with self-knowledge realizes Brahman as the self of all living beings? 
that will be stated in the next mantra, the eighth mantra. Na chakshusha grihate, na api vacha, na anyai devai, tapasa karmana va, jnana prasadena vishuddha sattva, tatah tupashyate nishkalam dhyayamana. So in the previous mantra, it has already been mentioned that it is shukshmat, shukshmataram. It is subtler than the subtle. How it is subtler than the subtle? That's being indicated here by saying, na chakshusha grihate. It cannot be grasped by the eye. Na api vacha. You cannot express it by your speech. What it speaks of, you cannot perceive it through your senses like the eyes, nor can you express it by your with the comprehension of your mind. Your speech speaks of what you have comprehended through your mind. Na apivacha. So it is avang manasagocharam. It is behind the mind. Is uh, this is behind the mind beyond the speech. Avak mano agocharam. So na anyai devai. After saying eyes, it is saying na anyai devi, not by any other devas. Here, devas doesn't mean the divine beings, the gods. Here, the word devai means the other senses. Like chakshusha is a deva, eye is a deva. Similarly, ear is a deva, our smell is deva, our taste is deva, touch is deva. Why? The word deva came from div dhatu. Div dhatu, the word div means to illumine. That which illumines is Deva. So all these senses illumines. We can see the light with our eyes. We can hear the sound. How we are getting illuminated by this about the sound, external sound, by our ears. Our nose illumines the smell. Our tongue illumines the taste. Our skin illumines the touch. So as they are illuminating the sense or the, all the objects of senses. So these sense organs, the organs of perception are termed as Deva. So here it says, Na Anyai Devai. It means that the, all the sense, the, all, along with the eyes, all of the sense organs do not have the capacity and do not, do not have the ability to reveal that Brahman. But as it was indicated again in the previous, that was because it is the ultimate subject. The subject can never be known. If you know the subject, it becomes an object. So Brahman is not grasped by the eye, nor by speech, nor by other senses. So that's is uh, that uh, that in the previous mantra it was mentioned that Brahman is unthinkable, achintya rupam, and it is subtler than the subtle sukshma chashukshmatara vibhati. That is being elaborated in this mantra by saying na chakshusha grihate na apivacha. Na anyai devai. It cannot be grasped by the eyes, nor by any other sense organs, nor it can be expressed through our speech. The next word, next uh, phrase is important. Na tapasa karmana va. All the austerity and all the karma, the actions which we do, the yagyas, the worship, they also cannot reveal Brahman. You may say, why? These are the things which has been uh, listed as a spiritual practice. Now we should know that the word dharma has two meaning. One is dharyateti dharma and another is the vishishyateti dharma. What it is? Dharyate. That which holds us, binds us, integrates us is dharma. So tapas, karma, is dharma in the sense of this holding, integration, dharyate. That in this life, we find that our mind, the, the vagaries of the mind can disintegrate us, can just simply dissipate our energy and can destroy us. So, so to integrate our personality, we need something to hold on. For that, tapas, karma, all has been prescribed. Tapas means going against, going against our the so-called obs obsessive nature is tapas. Tapas, the word tapas came from tapudhatu, means that tap means heat. 
when how heat is generated heat is always generated because of friction when there is a friction there is heat what 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 does friction means when one object is trying to move over another object the other object offers a type of resistance and because of that resistance the heat is generated so tapas means the heat which actually means resistance so that's that's how the word tapas has generated that our nature is such it always wants to uh it it never wants to uh achieve the highest potentiality which it has the capacity to do that we have the potentiality to achieve something but we never try this is our general tendency the word sin actually means that swami vivekananda in one of his lecture has indicated that the real meaning of sin is very good but it is the way it, the term is used the sense in which it is used that we decry but otherwise the real meaning of the word sin is very good what's the real meaning of the word sin that we all have the potentiality but we never try to realize that potentiality yeah i still remember in the school uh, in the uh, school when i i was there in india we used to uh, give an example that we never try to re- realize our potential just simple question we used to ask try to raise your hand the students will raise their hand raise it still upright they will then first somehow just little they will raise then when we ask just raise it still higher they will raise it still higher and we will ask just raise it upright at last they will raise it upright and then we used to say just see when we asked you to raise your hand at the very first instruction itself you could have raised it upright but somehow you tended just to raise it a little gradually when we again instructed so this shows that in all our activities somehow a slothness is there a type of lethargy a friction is there which doesn't allow us to realize the highest potential tapas speaks of that by working against it we try to realize the potentiality which is hidden within us in that sense that swami as swami ji used to say that religion is the manifestation of divinity within us so in that sense tapas do help us to realize our potential to and that way help us to be integrated in our life <clears throat> that example which we give again and again that the animal world is ruled by instincts to give a common example that that Uh, when a lion catches its prey the moment it is satiated it will never look back on its prey it will just simply leave it the scavengers the jackals the hyenas they will come to feed over what is left out when they are feeding the vultures are sitting on the tree when even the scavengers of the forest they are satiated and the vultures come all have their share the instinct rules them there is no need for instruction that don't hold but for humans when we go to the market we just uh, we go to the shop we find something half price or at some reasonable price we buy a lot we cannot consume in one day we just eat a little and keep it in the uh, in our so called the refrigerator the fridge so that we can have it later this is the human tendency to hold and that can disintegrate the entire society because we find that holding ultimately leads to that total economic disbalance that 1% of the population is having the 99% of the wealth and that speaks of the disintegration of the society so we need that instruction don't hold and accordingly on based on that we have to lead our life now you will understand why that dharyate iti dharma is so important it integrates our in, our individual life as well as the life as a society so tapas karma all has the utility as per that aspect of the dharma of we i won't say dharma is religion dharma means the way of life that aspect of the way of life as per the integrity of life is concerned the tapas the all our actions 
do have a role to play. But dharma has another meaning. Vishishyate iti dharma. That what the characteristics by which one, a particular thing can be classified from from be distinguished from other things is its dharma. Just as we say, the heat is the dharma of fire. I cannot think of fire without heat. That heat is the characteristic of fire. But with that, I can distinguish the fire. Flow is the dharma of water. Similarly, as a human being, we have a specific characteristic. What's that? We can never remain satisfied with our physical plane of existence. Any any other animals, they're quite satisfied with their life as it is. They never ask for the meaning of life. As a human being, we are bound to, we are bound to have the search for the meaning of life. What's that? What's this life meant for? Who we are? All these questions are something which we as a human are bound to ask. And to find the answer of that again is dharma. Because that is a special characteristic of the human being. And that's the thing that to find the essence of our being. For that, this tapas and karma, they are the one which is not sufficient. Though they may be of secondary help. They may help by for preparing the base, but they are secondary. They are not the, the, the immediate cause of our liberation of or, or of uh, the immediate cause for uh, the revelation of our self, for getting identified with the, the core of our existence. For that, the practice for by which we can find out the meaning of life by finding out the real existence, the, by getting identified with the self. For that, the next practice is being indicated in the second line that. It is not by tapas, not by karma, nor by the senses, nor by vacha, by our speech that Brahman can be revealed. It can be revealed by, the next line speaks that, jnana prasadena, vishuddha sattva, with a tranquil mind, which is established in vishuddha sattva. This term vishuddha sattva is very important. We will try to understand it gradually. Tata tupashyate nishkalam dhyayamana. This word nishkalam, which we were describing, nishkalam means that which is without parts, that which is the real individual. That ultimate reality, the who is without parts, who is absolute, who is non-local, he can be reached through dhyana, through meditation, which leads to jnana prasada, which leads to the tranquility of the buddhi. And that is possible only when you are established in Vishuddha Sattva. So these terms, Jnana Prasada, Vishuddha Sattva, what it means. That through meditation, what happens? We can get rid of the vagaries of the mind. That's been spoken of as Prasada. Prasada means tranquility. And that tranquility is attained through Vishuddha Sattva. What that word Vishuddha Sattva means? Now, the word sattva rajas tamas has to be understood what it means to understand vishuddha sattva sattva means illumination you will find that in the scripture the sattva means illumination rajas means activity tamas means what it means inertia what actually is speaking of that sattva sattva speaks of illumination that all the five organs of perception the stimuli which we are receiving, receiving through them, that speaks of illumination, that is sattva. And what is uh, uh, this rajas? It speaks of activity. All the activities, where the stimuli is finding expression as response, that is rajas. And what is tamas? Tamas is that when the response is out of necessity, that is rajas, when it becomes an obsession, that speaks of tamas. Now, what is Vishuddha Sattva? Let us uh, 
that this is a very vast discussion. We need not go to the all the details of it. Let to understand the term Vishuddha Sattva, let us highlight the particular aspect of the Sattva Rajasthamas to understand the term Vishuddha Sattva. What does Vishuddha Sattva means? We'll all understand that as we told, Sattva means illumination, Rajas means activity. When we start our meditation in our spiritual life, that the one who is contemplating I am Brahman or is, is meditating on God, some personal aspect of God, what he is trying to do? He's visualizing that visualizing that I am Atman, I am Brahman, or I am the, in an eternal association with the divine. He's visualizing the form of the divine and thinking himself to be in association with it. So this speaks of visualization. This visualization is sattva. It is, it speaks of illumination. It is sattva. But now we know our mind has a tendency to jump from thought to thought. It gets distracted. So I have to use my willpower to keep my mind fixed in the visualization. So sattva has to be in conjunction with rajas, this willpower, this resolution to keep my mind established in that visualization, established in that illumination is the process by which I start my meditation. What it speaks of? It is Sattva Pradhan. So it is not purely Sattva. That though predominantly it is Sattva, it is mixed with Rajas. Constantly, that I am trying to keep my mind illumined with the visualization, with the ideal of, on which I am meditating. I am trying to keep my mind illumined with that. But as the mind has a tendency to again get distracted by all the vagaries, with my willpower, I have to again and again bring back to the process of pratyahara to the object of meditation. So at the beginning, the sattva is mixed with rajas. Gradually, sattva starts prevailing. As I get established in meditation, that the resolve to bring the back mind, bring my mind back from the vagaries, that willpower is no more necessary. The mind is getting more and more established in sattva. When through my practice a state comes, when that a path has been formed in my mind by the repeated practice, and now the mind develops a tendency, it has developed a liking to traverse that path. It naturally contemplates. It doesn't have to use that force. So what happens? The sattva is becoming more and more prevalent. A time comes when no resolution is required, the contemplation becomes spontaneous. So your mind is illumined without any effort. So now you will understand what is Vishuddha Sattva, the Sattva which is pure, which is in no way tainted with Rajas. There's no effort required. Rajas speaks of effort. That is no more required. Neither it is going to Tamas, that there is no need to uh, there is no effort required to stop the vagaries of the mind. Neither we have to keep it awake because again and again it is going to tamas. So the rajas has fallen off, tamas has fallen off. It is in a state of flow. The constantly you are thinking of the, the self. The mind has taken the brahmakara vritti, that I am brahman. This is the thought which has become spontaneous. That leads to the Gyana Prasada. Why it leads to Gyana Prasada? Does this type of meditation, this Dhyayamana can lead to Gyana Prasada, tranquility? Because this thought has enabled you to get rid of all the vagaries of mind. And this, all the vagaries have stopped because of this as your mind has entered into that state of flow. And that speaks of the Prasada. The buddhi has got totally purified. And then the self gets revealed. How? Because very interesting that the self need not have to be revealed. The word jnana actually here denotes the buddhi or understanding which is the instrument of knowledge. If with the buddhi we can know anything. Now the buddhi of any nature, of, of any man by nature is pure. In our scriptures, they give the example that buddhi by itself, when 
but its real nature is just like a clean mirror or like a transparent water. Just the way in the clean mirror, in a clean mirror, I can see the reflection of my self in the water, clean transparent water, I can see the reflection of my self. But if it gets polluted, if the mirror is full of dirt, if the water has become turgid, is full of, it is a muddy, then I cannot see the reflection. So the mind by itself, when it is pure, when it, that prasada, when the tranquility is there, it can reflect the self. When self-knowledge becomes something vivid, when anyone is to say to Ramakrishna that the self is avang manasha gochara, Sri Ramakrishna immediately is to say, no, it is shuddhaman shuddha buddhir gochara. It is comprehensible through the pure mind, through the pure intellect. That's being indicated here. The mind by nature reveals the self if it is pure. It's only because of the contamination, the self is not, not revealed. Remove the dirt from the mirror. Remove the mud from the water. The moment it becomes clean, the way the reflection, the reflection will be something undistorted. The same thing happens when the mind is pure. So the, then what happens? The buddhi does not know Atman, which is the inmost self of all because of all the turgidities in the form of the vagaries of the mind. When you get rid of them, then automatically the self gets revealed. So through the pure intellect, one realizes the self and that's being indicated in this mantra that when through the through meditation, I can get rid of the vagaries of the mind. And my mind has reached a state of a flow where no effort is required to keep my mind concentrated in the highest truth in the form of Brahmakara Vritti. In that mind, which is spontaneously tranquil, in that mind, the self is revealed. And what's that self? By nature, it is Nishkalam, as we mentioned, without any parts. How can the why the ultimate reality is being inferred as without any parts? It's very one. There are so many ways to understand that. That in this world you will find that whenever more than one thing has conglomerated to form a unit, that unit will never serve the purpose of any of the conglomerates. To give an example. When we just try to state, it may become a bit difficult to understand. This room, it is a conglomerate of where I am sitting here in the shrine. The room has been constructed with so many things, the bricks, the timber, the cement, and then of course, this, uh, the other things like the utilities, the electricity, all this thing constitutes the room. But does the room serve the purpose, serve any purpose for the brick, for the cement, for the timber, for the light, for the sound system. It doesn't serve any purpose for them. It serves the purpose for one who is not a constituent of this room. That we, we enter the shrine. We are not a constituent of this room. We enter the shrine we, and for our meditation, for our discussion, religious discussion. So all this purpose to serve our purpose, which is not a constituent of this room, all these constituents conglomerate to form a unit to serve the purpose for someone who is not a part of that conglomerate. So that way, if you go on proceeding, if you go on just saying that at last you have to, you have to conclude that the ultimate entity for whom everything, the entire existence is serving purpose should not be a conglomerate. If it is a conglomerate, then again, the same question arises. It will lead to infinite regression. But if it is a conglomerate, then it also is supposed to serve the purpose of someone who is apart from it. So the ultimate reality cannot be a conglomerate. So that's one of the way we find in our scriptures, they speak that the ultimate reality is something which is homogeneous which is just the homogeneous mass of consciousness. It is, just a, it is just a homogeneous substance of consciousness. <coughs> Nothing else. It is just consciousness and consciousness alone. So that's being indicated by the term, <coughs> term nishkalam. 
Kala means parts. <clears throat> the Nishkala means that is beyond parts. <clears throat> so the ultimate reality is beyond all parts. That is realized through the process of meditation, the Ayamana. <clears throat> and that Dhyana is, has to lead to Vishuddha Sattva. It has to lead the mind to the Vishuddha where it has entered a state of flow where though where no effort is required. The mind is already established, spontaneously thinking of its real nature. The, and then that jnana prasada, the tranquility is attained. And in the tranquil mind, the self automatically reveals. The same idea will be again reiterated in the next mantra, which we will again take up in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.